podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca. This episode, we're going to talk to Tamal Mills, an actual real-life cricketer, about life on the T20 circuit. Uh, Tamal Mills, professional T20 cricketer. When I first announced I was doing this podcast, most of my friends ran for the hills, or I suppose in this day and age, we have to say they ran under their bed, hid under their dunas, pulled up a blanket, and they put a hoodie on. I'm not sure, but most people weren't around and obviously are sick and tired of being on podcasts. And as someone who is on a million podcasts as a guest, I'm aware of this. But uh, Tamal actually offered to put himself up, which might suggest that he is incredibly bored, but it was great of him to come and chat to me. So here it is, a very slow chat with an incredibly fast man. Mate, I, I want to start with talking about your career a little bit. Can I ask you, when you were growing up and you wanted to play, I'm assuming you dreamt of playing test cricket for England. Uh, well, funny story, I, I didn't grow up wanting to, to play cricket at all. Uh, <laughs> Even I didn't, better. Yeah, I, I played my first game of cricket when I was 14, kind of by accident. So um, where I grew up in, in Suffolk, in England, Cricket was wasn't prominent at all. There wasn't a cricket club really in my you know in the town I grew up in. Uh, it was only really the the private schools that played cricket, and I I went to state school growing up, so I played every other sport apart from cricket. And then yeah, when I was at fourteen, I remember my uh, my mates' team were were short, and then I kind of fell into it there. And um, obviously things have gone okay since then. So if that's the case, you, you have a you know a different way of getting into the game. So you never really thought. I mean, from fourteen to I think by nineteen, you were sort of on the scene a little bit, weren't you? Yeah. So I mean, at that stage, are you thinking you want to play for England, or are you thinking this is a good career option for me, or what? What are your thoughts there? It was a strange one. Obviously, I kind of I played pretty socially for, for three years or so, and then I kind of got scouted by Essex and went on the academy there. So once I was on the academy at Essex, obviously I had a sniff that it was going to potentially be my job, which was cool. And um, uh, then I kind of got fast-tracked into the England under-19s when I was yeah, 18. So I was in that setup straight away and kind of got a taste for things. And then obviously I'm, I'm watching cricket and I'm in and around a few uh, bits. Obviously I'm at Loughborough quite a bit doing training and, and bowling at various different groups and things. So um, yeah, obviously I, as soon as you're in that setup, you get a taste and, and, and you want to try and um, hit the top. As I said, I played for England under-19s. Then I went on a Lions tour the next winter when I was... Um, 19 so um, I was in and around the, the system pretty quickly. When did you realize that you were fast because you, you said you didn't play when you were young so you pick up the ball at what stage do you realize that the guys at the other end are not enjoying this? <laughs> it was straight away really when I was even when I was 14 15 I, I had no if well, guys might watch me now and think I spray it around but <laughs> you, you see me when I was 14 15 I literally had no idea what I was doing but it was obvious that you know I could bowl quicker than anybody else at kind of the various different levels that I ended up working my way through, whether that be minor counties, age groups, into you know, obviously men's cricket. Even when I kind of got a little trial with Essex in the second team, I was still kind of bowling quicker than everybody else around me. So that was, um, it was, it was, it was quite apparent straight away, but it was just a case of actually knowing what I was doing, which was the difficult thing. And that first time, I, I like to ask this of quick bowlers, and some of them can be terrible answers, but I think you'll be okay. But that <laughs> first time you realise that you're bowling quite fast, and the other person's scared. What's running through your mind at, at that stage, especially when you're young and it's a new sport for you as well? Oh, I just loved it. I was, I wasn't. Um, <laughs> it, I was. It was a point of difference. As I said, I, I didn't take cricket very serious up until I was kind of, I said, on the academy at Essex, probably. So I, I was literally just running in, 
bowling quick. As I said, I wasn't really aware of, of cricket and you know, I didn't have it. When I was playing club cricket, when I was kind of 15, 16, 17, I was literally just playing with, with a group of mates. Uh, I started at a pretty small club and then kind of I, I moved down the road to a bit of a, a, a more established club. And I was just generally just enjoying it and bowling quick and just bowling a lot of, a lot of bounces because that was kind of the only ball I knew how to bowl. But um, yeah, look, I was just enjoying it, and and yeah, look, it's it is it's a really good feeling when you know you can kind of intimidate a, a batter at the other end. One of the interesting things for you is you introduced yourself as a T Twenty cricketer at the top. Yeah, but you actually made your first class debut before you played T Twenty, didn't you? Yeah, 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 definitely. So at that stage, are you thinking that's your career path? Uh, yeah, initially, as I say, I was grew up playing the traditional forms of cricket, and then. Uh, I went on an England under-19s tour. I was actually picked for the four-day matches, but not for the one-day matches. We did, had a tour of Sri Lanka. I went out there for the four-day games. So I wasn't playing that then. And then the following year, made my first-class debut in, a, I think, it was a three-day game. We played against Sri Lanka. And then I played a few four-day games for Essex and a, then a couple of what was the Pro 40 back then. So, uh, yeah, I hadn't played T20 cricket straight away. Um, I was in definitely... I, I got a lot of opportunities at Essex at the championship uh, standard and then uh, kind of flirted with England Lions stuff. And, and yeah, it was definitely the start, the first kind of three, three years of my professional career were, were mainly focused around red ball and four day cricket. I reckon there would have been a bit of pressure on you as well, because there has never been an England left arm seamer take a hundred wickets. Yep. Bill Vos was the last probably properly fast, consistent international left arm quick. And he was, pre-World War II, so not exactly current. <laughs> no. And also England's quite data-driven and they're always thinking about how they can get advantages in, in all these forms of cricket and they know how good left-handers are. Yeah. And it was you, George someone? who George? Garton, who's kind of come through now. George Garton yeah, yeah. and the big guy, Duckett. Uh, Topley. Oh, Topley as well, yeah. yeah so yeah, there's yeah. about four coming through all yeah, that, yeah. that same time. Slightly different kinds of bowlers. But yeah. I'm assuming that England cricket was making it quite clear to you guys, if you can get at this level, you're a big chance of playing you know, international cricket. Uh, yeah, look, I was definitely fast-tracked through the system, as I say, kind of being a left-arm bowler and from quite a young age capable of bowling 90 miles an hour. That's kind of two huge boxes ticked in, in, in what you're looking for. And then obviously the coaches and the setup around you try and, and figure the rest out. So as I said, I was, I was chucked into the England under-19s when I was 18 years old. And then the following year I went on a Lions tour when I was 19. And I think I did three, three Lions tours kind of on, in, in six, six um, years. I flew out to Australia with the Ashes squad to help them. That was 13, 14, wasn't it? Yeah, ahead of the, the tour that didn't go so great for the boys. Obviously, I didn't do a great job in my help for preparing them. But When you bowled in the nets, yeah. did you have a Mitchell Johnson moustache just you know, to really? <laughs> I was only, yeah, 21, I think. So I, I wasn't quite uh, able to grow a tash. So I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't quite blessed with that. But, but that experience, that was, that was awesome for me. That was a, it was no pressure. I bowled well in a few of the... We stayed on for a Lions tour afterwards um, in, in Oz and I, I bowled well in a few games after kind of England went a couple down in the series. And then there was a chat in the media that I was going to get a go for, you know, maybe the back end of the Ashes series. But that was in reality never the case. That was just all media talk. Yeah, I mean, I probably made it up myself. Uh, <laughs> at that stage, I think we just wanted you to play for something different. Sure. But from there, at that stage, it looks like the, the world is full of roses for you. Yeah. But Obviously, you you were very young, as you said. You're bowling very fast. Yes. Um, I wouldn't say you played too much cricket at that point, and looking at your record, but you'd, you'd played a bit for someone yeah. who's bowling as fast as you. The injuries is sort of what happens next, isn't it? Yeah, well, it, it did, and I was playing pretty regularly for Essex in the four-day team. But I, look, if, if I'm being honest, I struggled. I, I found four-day cricket difficult. 
especially playing in Division Two in England on kind of seemings, often soft pitches, it really kind of struggled. I struggled to adapt to that. And I'd often find myself trying to sometimes bowl within myself to try and maybe swing it or seam it around because that's what was successful. So that was something I struggled with growing up was trying to flick between, you know, having my identity or uh, trying to be prototypically successful in, in county championship cricket. So I struggled there. I'd often find in the first innings of a game, I wouldn't, I'd hardly bowl because obviously the ball was nipping around, the pitches were a bit greener, but then come the second innings, that's when I'd kind of do my bowling when the pitches are flattened out a bit or if the sun starts to come down and bake the pitches out. So, And then obviously injuries hit me pretty hard and then it, it really forced my hand as to where my cricket went from there. And so it's a huge call to go freelance. Like I've talked to a few cricketers over the yeah. time. It's a, uh, Cricketers are basically, once they get onto, whether it be an academy or, you know, age group cricket, they're sort of hand-fed and they're very well looked after. It's a completely different world to go freelance. So I'm assuming you did it after quite a lot of thought? No. (laughs) (laughs) I had no no other option, really. I was, so I made the move. I left Essex. I moved to Sussex. I had a a problem, you know, a back problem in my last year of my contract at at Essex, Um, which we thought we got sorted. I moved to Sussex and then I had a, a reoccurrence at the start of the summer. Um, and then, you know, I had a load of tests done and you know, I won't go into the injuries. I'd be here all day, but you know, <laughs> I, I was pretty much sat down. You know, I'll never forget the day, sat down with the chief medical officer, the doctor, the physios, the chief exec, the head coach in a boardroom. And they pretty much gave me my options of, I had medical grounds to retire due to the, you know, what was going on with my back. Or I could, we could try and, you know, try and go back playing full day cricket or we could try and just the T20s were coming up. So maybe take a few weeks off and then see if we can come back and, and play some T20 cricket. So they were my three options. Obviously, I, I took the third and, you know, I'm very happy that, that I did so. Was that made easier at all by the fact that you didn't grow up a cricket guy? So if you were career's a career and you like playing cricket, don't grow up thinking I want to play for England. I wouldn't say so, uh, because by then I was, yeah, like 22. I was, okay. I'd, been, I'd been a professional for three years it, it, or, or four years, however long it had been. It, it, you know, it was my life by then. And, you know, I loved it. I, I didn't want to have to do anything else. But mm. it was made easier because just from my time in professional cricket, I found white ball cricket easier than red ball cricket. If it was the other way around, I'd, I'd have probably had to retire because realistically playing as a, a T20 only player, wouldn't have been realistic you know and a lot of guys will know that you know where their strengths lie and luckily for me I always found uh, one day cricket just naturally easier my skills I thought were more transferable in a uh, white ball cricket so it was an easy decision for me to take and I'm glad I did because then you know I, I really believe it it really accelerated my development just having not even just in terms of practice but even mentally what you're thinking about uh, just focusing on T20 cricket. So obviously I've worked with a few teams and one thing that you get with a lot of coaches is they say, we can't get the players to buy in that this is their career. Okay. So you will say to a player, look, this is what you do really well. Yeah. This is what you do that could take you to another level. This is what we think we can work towards it. And it might be diet. It might be fitness. It might be a technical thing. And quite often it just doesn't happen. I have noticed at times with the freelance kind of guys that, they just buy in, like they want to know all the information they can. Yeah. They buy in and try and do it because there's no one looking after them. So they have to look after themselves. Is that kind of how you felt? Yeah, look, I think I'm very lucky in the terms that I've always, so Sussex were, were great by me and I've been very grateful to them for the support. So I've always got a base here, well, for as long as I'm contracted, hopefully that will continue for a while. But um, 12 months of the year, I'm, I'm paid and contracted by Sussex. 
So obviously, I'm fully committed to them during the English county season. And then in the winters, they let me go and do what I want. But on the provision that they have the final say, you know, they issue my NOC for every tournament. You know, I have to be fit and I have to, you know, obviously not be going out to tournaments injured or whatever. So I have a really good relationship here. So I know I've always got a base, which is really nice, which is something that I think, you know, I do think about when I'm away or if just looking to the future, if if I lose that, it, it really does put you in a difficult situation. And as you say, because you don't have that security or that base just somewhere where you know you can come home and train regularly and you get looked after, have the physio, have the doctor, whatever. So, um, yeah, I'm very lucky in that respect. But but when you're away, it is important to to buy in because you don't know. As a freelance cricketer, you're just trying to to earn the next contract, really. So you've got to make the most of every every opportunity that you do have. And can I ask you a little bit about the logistics? Yeah, we're going to get yeah. really sexy here. But <laughs> things like insurance and medical, Yeah, how does all that work in these sort of random leagues? I'm assuming in the bigger leagues, they're a little bit more covered. But if you're in the Afghanistan league or, you know, one of the smaller leagues, how does all that sort of thing work? Yeah, as you say, it does differ tournament to tournament. I know, I remember when I went and flew over for the Big Bash, that's run by Cricket Australia. So you're, you're straight away part of their scheme. You're kind of, you have all the same rights as if you're an Australian player, for example, you're part of the pension system and, and all those type of things. And you have to go and you have to meet with the, the team doctor and get a physical done and, and X, Y, and Z. But you obviously don't have to, to do that in, in other leagues. I remember, so it's just done more privately. So I remember I was playing in the PSL once in Dubai, had a little tweak of my hamstring and then the team owner will pretty much just pay for you to get a scan or whatever, just at a hospital. You know, they just kind of, you just arrange it as and when, and it's not kind of done through, really done through insurance. It's kind of just the, the team or or the organization will, they'll just kind of just pay for whatever needs doing. But obviously it's also a lot more cutthroat as well, because if it's an injury that's going to knock you out for a bit, they'll just book your plane ticket and, and you go home and you deal with it at home and then you're on your own pretty much. <laughs> And when you deal with it at home, do you have an insurance policy that is set up for that sort of stuff? Or No, so that's where I'm very lucky where, because I'm fully full-time contracted with Sussex, I'm covered by the ECB, you know, healthcare system. So say, so, so for example, I, when I flew, I tore my hamstring during the Big Bash, wasn't able to, to finish my second season there. So, you know, I flew back to England and then just straight away I'm back in with Sussex, uh, with the physio, training with the boys, because obviously it's... it's their interest is just to make sure I'm fit and I'm good to go come the blast. So they'll obviously do whatever you know needs to be done to get me in a position to, to be ready for the English summertime. So yeah, that's where when I talk about having a base and having that security, that's one of the biggest things for me in, in terms of my cricket. So you're more like a semi-freelance cricketer than some guys out there. <laughs> exactly. And you're, you're signed with Insignia, the yes. agency, is that right? Yeah. When did you sign with them? What age? Tom's been my agent since I was 18, yeah. <laughs> um, they're all at Essentially, the company. And I remember Tom and a guy, Rich Hudson, who now works for the PCA, they came and pitched me when I was at university in London. They, I remember that they took me for a Nando's and, and gave me the pitch. And uh, yeah, I signed I with... I mean, if you can't be wooed by Nando's... Oh, an 18-year-old fresher with no money, free Nando's, that's, uh, you know, say no more. <laughs> <laughs> they are kind of, I mean, I don't know how many people sort of outside cricket know this, but they're kind of like the super agents of T20 cricket. Yeah. They virtually run leagues. They have so many players and coaches yeah. and commentators and yeah, <laughs> everyone sort yeah, of looking around. To have a partnership with them from such a young age, yeah. especially when you do sort of change your contract with Sussex, must have been hugely beneficial. Yeah, look, I, I can't actually speak highly enough for those guys. Considering they do look after so many players and coaches, as you say, as I said, Tom's been my agent since I was 18, where, 
you know, we're very close. We, we speak most days. We were speaking this morning. He came to my stag dues. Him and Simon were at my wedding and stuff. So um, <laughs> I'm very, very close to those guys. And I personally have a great relationship with them. Probably gets highlighted when you speak to some other guys and how they, you know, how their relationship with their agents come about. Um, you know, I'm very lucky to have a, a good one with ours. They're really good. They're at every tournament. Mm. You know, all, all three of them flew to Pakistan just now just to make sure... They'll always be there either at the start or the end of, of the tournament just to make sure. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are problems sometimes with payments and things and they're always always no. chasing chasing <laughs> chasing those things up and making sure that the guys get looked after as best as possible. So yeah, look, I've I can honestly say I've very, very rarely had any kind of qualms or, or difficulties when when dealing with either, you know, Tom Eddie or Simon. That's actually worth talking about. I hadn't written that down, but it, I've just written a piece for Crick Info, actually, that'll go up soon about assistant coaches. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I've been support staff as well. Yeah. The payment in T20 cricket and some of these leagues is, yeah. well, it's it's sort of almost non-existent except for the fact that you get it just before the draft the following <laughs> season sometimes. I remember, I'm pretty sure that was um, Barbados a couple of years ago. The players got paid just before the following year's draft, so 10 months later. Oh, really? Uh, and yeah. that's getting paid, which you don't always get. Yeah. Has that been a problem for you? Or the sort of leagues you play in, I think you'd be roughly okay. Yeah, I've, I've been very lucky. Um, you obviously, you hear a lot of stories. I, I never played in those early years of the Bangladesh Premier League, for example, when you know it sounded like an absolute nightmare to get anything. Um, you know, I've, I've played in the BPL once, and luckily my team is pretty good. But it does vary because you know you can be out in a tournament and you can hear some players from certain teams not getting paid, where some players aren't. Um, so luckily I've been pretty good you know sometimes they're a bit late or later than what they should be you know played in in the Afghanistan Premier League in obviously so far it's one and only year and the payments for that were a bit difficult to get sometimes but <laughs> but but I got fully paid again so I can't grumble uh, when it when it comes to that and but for the most part you know obviously the big bash is run obviously through cricket Australia the, the PSL is excellent I'd say in terms of payments you get paid the majority of your fee even before you get out there and it's all done properly which is which is brilliant and yeah luckily for me I've uh, I've, I've not had too many bad experiences to speak of just yet all right, let's talk about the reason that you're mega famous. <laughs> Your 1.4 million pound deal in the IPL. Yeah. At that stage, you must have been thinking, well, I mean, this injury, it's uh, changed my life and certainly changed my bank balance. Oh, yeah. Look, you, you could definitely say the, you know, the problems I had on my back when I was younger were, were the best thing to, you know, to ever happen to me, really. Because as I said earlier, it, it really did accelerate my, my development in, in T20 cricket and, and opened up doors and opportunities that one I probably wouldn't have been able to take due to responsibilities of you know, commitments to playing four-day cricket and then ones that I may not have even have realised just due to my ability if I was trying to juggle all three formats. You then go over in the IPL. At that stage, you were you're one of the hotter prospects. You'd obviously, you played for England around that time as well. Yeah. You bowled that spell to Chris Gale in a blast game that went viral. Yeah. Everything was sort of going right for you. Yeah. And then in the IPL, I actually... Don't think your numbers are as bad as everyone else, considering yeah. you bowled a lot at the death. <laughs> but you then did go to the Hurricanes, to be fair, and there's yep. no metric of which I have that can make your figures uh, <laughs> for the Hurricanes look good. That's okay. So at that stage, everything's going well, and then you have two major tournaments within the space of 12 months that don't go well. Yeah. What happens next? Just going back a little bit, that was kind of when injuries kind of came back again. I, I had a really good run, so kind of from the moment I committed to playing T20 cricket, got myself in good shape and... I had a really good kind of couple of years where I made a name for myself. I played in consecutive leagues, did well in a few tournaments, played for England, obviously got the IPL contract, which was amazing. And then 
I started to get problems with my hamstring out in the IPL, wasn't able to play very much, then tore it properly for Sussex that summer. And then I kind of flew out to the Big Bash that December, having not played for four, four and a bit months. Well, my hammy was fine, but it wasn't kind of 100%. And I hadn't bowled for, <laughs> for four and a bit months. And I went out there and I was just just nowhere near where I, where I wanted or needed to be. And as you say, I had, I had a pretty poor tournament um, when it came out there and, you know, copped a fair bit of flack in, in the Aussie press, as, as, as you're well well familiar with. But yeah, it, it was difficult to, to kind of go from the, the high to the to the low. From that big bash, actually, I, I went straight back out to the PSL with the Karachi Kings and, and did pretty well. So that was a nice kind of feeling for me after, as you say, a, a tough 12 months to, to get back playing some good cricket again. Also, one of the things that for your career... And, and there's a lot of guys sort of in your area, like, you know, Jay Dernbach's in Ireland. Jay Dernbach yeah. could play a lot more tournaments than he does, but I think people look at your overall economy rate and don't realise the percentage of overs you bowl at the death yeah. and how good your record is. So there's, and, and that's somebody I, I kind of, I mean, you and I have actually shared a draft table. <laughs> Briefly, yes. Yeah, and there was a lot of eye-rolling between the two of us yeah. um, at some of the decisions. And it was because, literally, I got into that draft and I didn't know the rules of the draft until we sat down at the table 20 sure. minutes before the start. Yeah, uh, you yeah. came over to say, well, that guy can't bowl. <laughs> and I think that guy's retired and that guy's 84 years old. Yeah. Which were all things we were trying to cover. It must be frustrating when putting yourself into this professional environment to do the best you can and you've got owners just looking at your economy rate and not understanding what part of the game you play in. You've then got these ridiculous draft situations where mm -hmm. just nonsense happens, basically. It, m it must yep. be frustrating for you as a professional. It can be, yeah. And my name's in for most drafts that happen throughout the year and you know when they're coming about and you pull up, they're often live streamed on YouTube or whatever and, and you watch them and genuinely you, you've got no idea what's going to happen i've been in situations i won't drop teams names or anything but you know finish a tournament get told by the team owner you know really happy that you're going to retain you for next year you're thinking okay great but you know believe it when you see it and then you get a message a few months later saying hey yeah going to retain you for next year anyway the, the retention time comes around you don't get retained you're like okay i text the team owner saying oh, no our feelings all good hope to see you again soon He's like, oh, no, no, don't worry, no, we're going to get you in the draft. We're going to get you in the draft. <laughs> like promises to pick you at your category in the draft. Draft comes around, team's pick at my category comes around, picks the complete opposite cricketer to what I am. <laughs> so it's just like, <laughs> if they went for another bowl or whatever, you'd be like, okay, yeah, fair play. But it's just can be frustrating sometimes just to know what's going on. I said, I've got a, a brilliant agent who will always give me a heads up before the draft, having spoken to to all the teams and, you know, all the owners or the this, the analysts or whoever to just get an idea of maybe a couple of teams that are, are interested in me. But, but honestly, until you're actually sat there watching it and or listening or waiting for a notification on your phone, you've got no idea if you're going to get picked up or not. So when I was general manager and Solution, what I kept saying to all the players towards the end of the season, you've obviously done really well. We'll get together. We'll talk about it. There's no guarantees. And they're like, well, I'm not coming back. And I said, well, I'm not saying you're not coming back. What I'm <laughs> saying is we don't know what's going to go on in the next nine months, 10 months. We don't know yeah. if I'll be back. The coach will be back. Turned out none of us would be back, including the owner. <laughs> so you don't know. And it, but players are so used to being told that don't worry, we'll get you back. But then they're not even picked up anyway. It's such a random professional environment, which I find for you guys must be very tough. And also now, so we haven't talked about it, but so you basically went from being one of the highest players in the IPL to no yep. longer existing in the IPL. <laughs> Literally, yeah. And so how have you had to recalibrate a little bit there and think about, I assume you've had to think about maybe lower leagues than you would have originally um, had on your list. 
Oh, yeah. Just speaking of the IPL, so I had that obviously an amazing contract. So I don't feel I did terribly in the games I played. I just, obviously, I, I definitely didn't justify the price tag that I was, I was bought for. But, you know, I got injured and I wasn't able to play as much. But then since then, I have been disappointed at times because I remember last year I, I had a really good second half of the, the tournament with Peshawar Zalmi in the PSL and I was I was pretty hopeful of getting a, a replacement deal during the IPL and, and lots of guys were getting injured, fast bowlers, and lots of guys were getting replaced and I was being overlooked and they're going with different guys and you just feel like your your reputation has been kind of tarnished and it's tough to get a gig sometimes. So yeah, that's that. It does get frustrating, but you know, I'm a, I'm at peace with that now. And as you say, I, you just got to back yourself to to keep going. You know, as you say, I have probably dropped my price that I go in for at, at drafts just to make sure I you know I get the gigs. And then once I'm there, you know, back yourself to to do well. And then you kind of you go in, go again from there. How does it work during the coronavirus lockdown period? Yeah. So. How much of your money is guaranteed and how much are you, you know, if it's a six-month or nine-month break, how are you going to survive? Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. So luckily, I've just come back from the Pakistan Super League. You're already paid a good kind of 70 80% of that before the tournament's over and then you do your last bit just after. So we'll get that through. And then it doesn't affect me much right now because I was due to have all of April off anyway and then starting with Sussex end of May. But... The way my contract structured it is largely pay as you play with Sussex, um, so it's obviously <laughs> isn't ideal if if the season is to get truncated or even worse cancelled. So hopefully we we get to play some some blast cricket at some point, and then with the hundred, obviously I've got a contract in that. But look, insurances that guys have taken out their their personal injury insurances, I believe. So again, if the tournament was just to be canned, then. You're not going to see that money, I don't think. So, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely one to to keep an eye on. But I'm hopeful at some point, even if it's you know you're looking into August, September, we'll we'll hopefully get some cricket under our belts and and we can keep ticking over. Otherwise, yeah, it might might get a little bit closer to the bone uh, than than I would have liked. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. One last question. So I've noticed recently uh, the England setup have been looking at using Mark Wood and Ollie Stone as the, in this sort of platoon of quicks. Yeah. So they're not going to play them every game. They're going to hopefully have one of them fit. And then when they have a fast pitch or, or an opposition they think they need it against, they're going to bring in the fast bowler. That's a pretty ideal situation for you, no? Uh, laugh. I've not played for England now for two and a little bit years since that tour of India in, in January a couple of years ago. So I was definitely eyeing up this T20 World Cup come the back end of this year. Again, we don't know what's going <laughs> what's going to happen, but I believe that you know, honestly, if I can stay fit, I believe I'd, I'd be in that pool of players, hopefully, for a T20 World Cup. Obviously, still being a left armer, there's obviously you know, myself, David Willey, uh, Reese Topley's probably in a similar situation to me, where if I can stay fit, I think last summer playing for Sussex before, unfortunately, I got injured again, was probably some of the, the best cricket that, that I was playing. So personally, yeah, I want to get back playing for England, but I've just got to stay fit and, and just try and, and churn out as many good performances for Sussex and uh, Southern Brave, hopefully this summer, should should we get out there? <laughs> yeah, that's all fine. I understand you can come back for T20, but what I'm saying is Ed Smith calls you up and they're in the middle of a tour in Australia or South Africa Yeah. and uh, Ollie Stone and Mark Wood are down. They've got a test match in a week's time. Nah. Could you? No. Th- no, it's not, it wouldn't happen? <laughs> it wouldn't happen, mate, no. no ch- I've, oh, it'd be great. Uh, I've not played a four-day game for what four years or whatever it is. I've not even played a fifty-over game for just as long. So um, <laughs> I wouldn't last a day. I don't think. 
you know, it is a platoon. So that sometimes is what happens, unfortunately. But yeah. uh, beautiful. Well, thank you very much for chatting, mate. And good no luck with it all. all. Thanks a lot, mate. Good to speak to you. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening. You can follow my guest at tmills15 on Twitter. I'm there somewhere. If you Google me, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us, especially early on when we're trying to get people to listen. Also, just tell every single person you see at a supermarket. You know, that's what people want to hear at emergency buying times is someone coming up and telling them about a cricket podcast. Uh, This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon. So please head over there and uh, help out if you can. And thanks for everyone who already has. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimper, Nick McCorriston, Touches North. And the theme tune is by the Red Crickets.